This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. We are reading today from Genesis 18, 1 to 29, I think. The next day, Moses took the seal to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening when his, excuse me, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Okay, thank you so much, Ralph. Hey, if you want to know what Teddy's going to look like when he's 90, right? That's Ralph. Ralph, I so I love it when you read Scripture. It's like the voice of God, really. I mean, that's what I expect to hear when I, when I get there and see him in person. So it's very interesting. If you look in your bulletins under worship, you'll see... Um, the preschool through fifth grade, and what they're learning today is God makes a covenant uh, with Abraham, and that, of course, comes from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 18, that's marked out there. And that has a direct correlation to our passage this morning. Uh, it's because God made that covenant with Abraham. Now, the promises was for two things, remember? Number one was the land, 
And number two was for offspring. And as a result of God's faithfulness and fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham, the people of Israel grew in number. And really that sets the table for where we are in our passage today later on in Exodus. Moses has the task of being a judge or settling disputes or answering questions of what it means to live a godly life and relationship in covenant with one another as the people, that's fallen upon him. And here they are, they're in the wilderness. Uh, they're about to move out into the Sinai and, 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 and there they're going to encamp. But what we see in Scripture today takes place just before that and it really comes from Moses' father-in-law, a man named Jethro. Now, Jethro's wisdom was an immense help to Moses and to the Israelites. And the organization, the management structure that he suggests Moses take and apply to delegating responsibilities within the whole body of the Israelites, to this day still stands as an example of good delegation and fruitful organizational structure. Do you know that? And it's applicable to where we are today. In fact, it's so important that a Sunday school teacher once wanted to teach her children what it was like to walk in Moses' shoes, especially as it would have been for Moses, standing and, and holding court, if you will, with people bringing disputes and, and wanting clarifications of what it meant to follow God and, and live a, according to God's ordinances. And so this is what she did. This is what she writes. She says, to help my Sunday school class of nine-year-olds understand the difficulty of Moses' job selling disputes as leader of the Israelites, I asked the children to role-play. Zachary was given Moses' part, while others worked in pairs to come up with problems, disputes for him to tackle. So, the first duo, uh, Jessica and Danae, approached their leader, that Zachary pretending to be Moses, and said, Moses, we have no food. Zachary, standing in the place of Moses thought for a moment, what would Moses do? What would he say? And so he nervously answered, go kill some animals. Problem solved, right? Then came the second pair. Now, these were the, the Terrence children. They were very imaginative. And what was the problem that, that they presented to Zachary, young Zachary, pretended to be Moses? Moses Someone's been killing our animals. Yeah. You see, it's a tough place to be a leader. It's a difficult place. And uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, and we see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, coming to him with a, with a solution that was intended to assist Moses as he was going to shepherd now these people, the Israelites... We need to understand that, that what he is presenting comes from relationship. In fact, to really understand where this all starts, all you have to do is turn to Exodus chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. 
In Exodus chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, we see Moses. He's come out of Egypt, right? He's in the wilderness. And there's an event that happens that ultimately is going to connect Jethro to Moses. It says here, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. But while they were doing this, some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses, seeing this, got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. This is really cool. So here's Moses. He's fled Egypt. He's in the wilderness. He comes upon this scene with the seven daughters of of Jethro. In this passage, it refers to him as Ruel, but it's the same person, Jethro. And he, and he sees them trying to draw water, but a confrontation with some other shepherds. What does Moses do? Moses has a sense of justice, doesn't he? And, and we see that in his life. It was, it was that actually that, that led him to have to, to flee Egypt. And so here he's seeing this injustice and he intervenes. So here is Moses. He intervenes on behalf of the seven daughters, but ostensibly really it's for Jethro. And this is where the relationship begins. Now, Jethro and the Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham and his second wife, Keturah. We read about that in Genesis 25, 1 through 4. And they are on the Arabian Peninsula there in the wilderness. Now, as a result of this, Jethro, in his gratitude, is going to offer one of his daughters, Zipporah, to be Moses' wife. And so he takes her as his wife. And so the relationship is building between Jethro and Moses. And uh, they're going to have two sons. Uh, the first is Gresham. And his name sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner or foreigner. And isn't that apropos since Moses was a sojourner or foreigner in this land of, of Midian in the wilderness? And later on, they're going to have a son named Eleazar, which means my God is my helper. God is our helper. And so Moses names his sons based on the experiences and the faithfulness of God that he experiences in the wilderness. And so coming to the aid of these seven women who are Jethro's daughter results in him marrying Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, having two sons, and a relationship with his father-in-law. You know, guys, it is great when we have a good relationship with our father-in-laws, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's, that's a really important one. Uh, I remember uh, my father-in-law, uh, before we were married, very strong Italian man. You kind of had to earn the right to be a part of the family. And he probably spoke maybe a dozen words to me before Lori and I were married. But I'll never forget at the end of our reception, he was walking Lori and I, I, I out to the car and he was going to just give us his blessing as Lori and I were going off for the honeymoon. And I reached out my hand to him and I said, Mr. Lonza, thank you for this wonderful day and for this wonderful wedding reception. And he looked at me and he took my hand and he pulled me close and he kissed me on the, the left cheek and he kissed me on the right cheek. Kind of like a, a scene reminiscent of The Godfather, right? <laughs> his name was John, John Corleone. no. John Lanza, okay? And he says to me, looks me in the eye, he says, son, son, 
right? Dad. And from that point on, I was his son, and he was my dad. And we had a great relationship. And our passage today comes from relationship. It's Jethro's relationship with God, Moses' relationship with God, and Jethro and Moses, their relationship with one another. And as a result of that, Jethro comes to see Moses, and he hears from Moses of the wonderful things that God had done. How God had delivered Moses from, uh, and the people of Israel from the Egyptians in the wilderness, in the crossing. How God had enabled the Israelites to defeat the Amalekites. And as we look in chapter 18, verse 8, it says that Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now, this is great. Look at this in verse 9. If you have your Bibles there, Exodus 18, verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that Moses had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. This is great. Here's Jethro, the Midian priest, right? Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And you see the relationship of Moses to his father-in-law sharing the goodness of God and all that God had done. It brings Jethro to this place where he says, now I know, now I'm certain that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is greater than all other gods. He is the true God. What a powerful testimony that is. And Jethro then presents an offering and then a meal is shared with, with Moses and Aaron and others. And then Moses goes back to work. And that's where we find our passage today. And it's in the, the context of that work, Jethro is looking at his son-in-law and saying, Wait a minute, this guy's never going to make it. The task is too great. He's going to wear himself out. It's not good, the thing he's doing. From morning until night, he's settling disputes among the people. Right? And that's where Jethro says to Moses, I've got an idea. I've got a better way for you. And so Moses heard what Jethro had to say. And I think it's kind of cool how in the beginning of the relationship, Moses a shepherd is helping Jethro's daughters shepherd Jethro's flock. And now here we are, fast forward, and it's Jethro coming to Moses, who also was a shepherd, but now a shepherd of the Israelites. And Jethro the shepherd is sharing with Moses the shepherd, here's how you can shepherd your flock. Isn't that cool how that works out? Here's that give and take in relationship. Both men in relationship with God. Both men in relationship with one another. 
And so what do we see from that? What does the, the Scripture in these verses that we've looked at this morning, what does it point out? Well, first of all, there's a clear analogy between the leadership of Moses for Israel and the, and the leadership of a church among God's people. Number one, God is the one who's recognized as the true leader of the people, right? Church leadership should be followers of God. But the congregation and the church leadership should, should look as God as being the true leader. Number two, a leadership could not work alone to do the work of leadership. Moses needed help. Jethro saw that. Number three, the leader had a responsibility for prayer and for teaching. Jethro encouraged Moses, listen, you need to teach, pray for your people, and teach them how to help lead themselves. Involve them in the ministry of the people. And number four, the people had, excuse me, a leader must select, train, and give authorities to others to help in the work of the church. We see that. The people had a definite role in all of this. We see that happening right here. And Moses is going to take his father-in-law's advice. But then who were the people that Moses was going to select? Who were the people that were going to help out? They were men of ability. They were able men. They were men of godliness. They, they had a fear of God. Their heart belonged to the Lord. They were men of God's word. That is, they were men of truth. Men of truth were needed to settle disputes among the people. And they had to be men of honor. Men that were not covet, that they would not covet what other people had. Men that could not be manipulated or bribed. Men that were men of honor before God. All those qualities were present. And we see those same qualities in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. Do you remember the scene? There's some Hellenistic Jews, and they, they come to the apostles, and they say, listen, our widows aren't getting the same treatment as, as the Hebrew widows. Uh, the ones here from Jerusalem. And what do the apostles do? Well, it's right here. Acts 6, 2 through 3. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. Next slide. Oh, all right. Spirit and wisdom. And so what did the disciples do? They went ahead, and they said, choose for yourself those who will help lead. Do you see what they're doing? They're following the very model of Moses earlier in the Old Testament. They're not afraid to delegate to godly men the responsibility of leadership uh, in the church. Later on, we see here in Timothy 2.2, Paul writes to Timothy, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Timothy, the things you've heard and seen in me, you have to delegate responsibility of leadership and helping to teach others by raising up others who can teach well. Again, we see this delegation of leadership developing in the church. 
And then finally, Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself, next slide. Back up one. There you go. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11, 13. So in other words... Those who have offices recognized in the church, their responsibility are to equip, to help enable, to empower others so that the body of Christ might be active. People might be using their giftedness in ministry to one another. And so again, here we see the pattern where the pastor or the leader delegates and empowers others. And that's the key to fruitful organizational structure. When everyone in the body of Christ is involved and active, they're using their gifts and their abilities as, as God has given to them. And when that happens, people are fulfilled, people have ownership, people belong, and good ministry takes place. You see, it doesn't fall just on the leader or the staff of, quote, Christian professionals, right? It's a shared responsibility. And yet sometimes we think there's a division, don't we? We we sense this division that exists between what we call laity and clergy. The professional, quote, Christians and the non-professional Christians. And, and it's that gap or that's divide that frankly works its way into a church and, and sometimes inhibits members of a church from really embracing all that God has for them in the life of the church, especially as it pertains to using their gifts. Because somehow there's this divide and this is something that we reserve for the paid professionals, for the clergy. Do you know that that's not a New Testament idea? Do you know that? Clearly, we've shown you in Scripture with Moses and Exodus and following here in the New Testament, whether it be uh, the disciples in the book of Acts or the apostles in the book of Acts as they delegate responsibility or with Paul writing to Timothy or writing to the Ephesians. Well, then where does this come from? I'm glad you asked. Are you ready to know? All right. Uh, Dr. Larry Peabody writes a book called Job Shadowing, and it's a book about how Daniel not only survived but thrived working in a very secular environment. And in his book, he helps us see where this division between the professional and the non-professional Christian, where that really came about, where the word laity and clergy came from. So let's look at this next slide about laity. Okay. Next slide. There it is. The word laity. All right. It wasn't until the year 96, almost the end of the first century, that Clement of Rome was dividing up the responsibilities of, of, of leaders in a church. And he used Old Testament, if you will, designations like, like priest and Levite to, to describe the, the work of the, quote, professionals in the church. And Clement of Rome took the Greek word that comes from the New Testament, laos, which means people, 
And he changed it. And he changed it to the word lakos, which means of the common people. And what he was attempting to do was differentiate between the professionals and the common people. So he took a word in the New Testament and changed it to suit a designation differentiating between the roles of people. But you know what that word also is in Greek, in the Greek word? It's a synonym for the word idiotes, which means idiot. Now, how do you like that? The word laity has a synonym, which means idiot. In other words, these are common people who don't know anything. Right? Clement of Rome, 96 A.D. Now, because we now have a special designation of common people, we have to create a word for uncommon people. Those are the paid professionals, right? The ones who hold the offices, the pastor, the teacher. The All right. And so, it was about 200 years later that a biblical word, keros, which meant inheritance or lot or share, uh, it's used in Ephesians 1.18 to describe God's people, that we are his inheritance. Well, that word was changed. All right, another New Testament word, which was changed to clericos, which means ordain to perform a pastoral function. So what I want to say is that if we're going to have fruitful organizational structure, we have to look at the example of Moses. We have to look at the New Testament model And we have to understand that this division that may be inhibiting some of you from getting involved and taking responsibility and 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 really exercising your spiritual giftedness because you think there's this divide between laity and clergy. Right? When in reality, we see the Bible gives us a different model in which the role of the pastor or the teacher or the person who has, if you will, an ordained office is to help enable you to be all that God wants you to be. And, and in this body of Christ, a community covenant, that, that people would be excited and fulfilled and on fire because there are structures, there's organization intended really to set you loose to be the people God intends for you to be. Isn't that great thought? Isn't that wonderful? And that's what we want to be about here. Now, just quickly, you're going to love this. I found it humorous. Remember the, the designation laity for the common people or the idiots? <laughs> right? Um, maybe some of you feel that I'm too common or I'm too different or peculiar to be used by God. Uh, listen to this. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. And the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. And Timothy was timid. That is quite a variety of misfits. But God used each of them in his service. And he is going to use you and me too. 
Amen? And that's what we want to be about here as we talk about fruitful organizational structure. Can we articulate a compelling Christ-honoring vision for our church? Yes, we can! We want to be a healthy, missional church. Healthy means pursuing Christ, growing in our relationship with Him and in godliness, living into the transformation of God as the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. And we want to be missional. We want to pursue His priorities in the world. We want to be able to embrace evaluating how we're doing, where we're going is normal and work through conflict constructively like Moses did here with the judges. That as we're on this vitality pathway, as we're working into the reality of, of living out the 10 markers of a healthy missional church, as our vitality teams come together and help lead us in that, that we evaluate. Say, here's where we are, Lord. How do we, what do we need to do to get to where we're going? Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. And that we work through those differences that we may have in that process constructively. And that we are continually identifying and training godly men and women for all dimensions of ministry. That's at the heart of fruitful organization in a church. And that's at the heart of who we are and what we're about. Now it all started with relationship, right? Covenant. God makes with Abraham. And out of that... The wonderful problem of how do I manage all this people Moses was faced with out of the relationship with God and Jethro and God and Moses and Moses to the people. A solution was given. And the people worked together to solve their differences and their problems and as God would lead them ultimately to the promised land. It was about relationship, wasn't it? The people to God and the people to one another. In your bulletin, we have a relational covenant. A few weeks ago, we, we shared this with you. I'm going to share it again. And we're going to just pray through this because one of the things that's so important as we move ahead, as, as we develop fruitful organizational structures and empower everyone for the work of ministry, that everyone could use their gifts and participate and have their place, we need what? We need to be in good relationship with one another. Now, this isn't the law. It's not intended to be the law. It's something that was adopted by our vitality team and by the, the church leadership and our congregation. And really, this is the ideal. This is what we want to live into as we relate to one another. This is, this is when disputes arrive. And we have to talk through them. How are we going to do that on this vitality pathway? Well, we have a relational covenant. It's not because we have to. It's not because we're, we're under the whip to do this. It's because it flows from the life of Christ in us and how we relate to one another. Uh, Lou Almondson, would you come on up? Where are you, Lou? Come on up. Lou was on the, uh, one of the vitality teams that developed this relational covenant. And Lou, as we move ahead on the vitality pathway, as we live into a fruitful organizational structure that empowers people for the work of ministry, uh, we need to relate to one another in the most loving and the most godly ways, would you lead us just through prayerfully uh, dedicating ourselves as a congregation to doing that? Sure. All right. What we'll do is I'll read through each item on there, and then we'll take just a brief moment 
for you to reflect before you and the Lord of what that means in your life. And then together, we'll say it aloud as a prayer as we commit it to the Lord. The relational covenant. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are guided into a relational covenant with one another. In accordance with Scripture and following Christ's example, we are called to express the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control by treating all with dignity and respect. And aloud, let's read the screen. Lord, we commit to treating all with dignity and respect. Speaking the truth in love and receiving the truth in love at all times. Expressing love by choosing to speak only when it builds others up and benefits those who listen. And together, Lord, we commit to speaking the truth in love and receiving the truth in love at all times, expressing love by choosing to speak only when it builds others up and benefits those who listen. Giving grace and forgiveness to all and being willing to receive grace and forgiveness. And together, Lord, we commit to receive grace and receive forgiveness to all and be willing to receive grace and forgiveness. Giving compassion to all in need and be willing to receive compassion. Together, Lord, we commit to giving compassion to all in need and be willing to receive compassion. Giving and receiving encouragement, acceptance, and hospitality to and from all. And together, Lord, we commit to giving and receiving encouragement, acceptance, and hospitality to and from all. And humbly valuing others and placing their needs before our own. Together, Lord, we commit to humbly valuing others and place their needs before our own. In seeking first to resolve conflict directly with those involved 
involved before involving others. And together, Lord, we commit to seeking first to resolve conflict directly with those involved before involving others, as God permits.